You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. Come on, somebody. When parenting goes wrong, amen, you may have your seats. Yes, when parenting, somebody say, dear God, dear God, when parenting. I know what you're thinking too. You're, you're, you're thinking as well you should, those that have sanctified yet culturally influenced minds. You're thinking of when keeping it real goes wrong. You might be thinking of that skit on the Chappelle show and, and when keeping it real goes wrong, but there's an even more important something that can go wrong. It's not just keeping it real. It's your, your parenting. And we have a, as I remind you often, the Bible is filled with promises, with precepts, and with what? Patterns. Amen. Everything we need as a recipe for godly living is found here in Scripture. Amen. And so we see here a pattern of how things can go wrong when you parent. So Again, just for those that haven't been with us, we're in the middle, in the midst, I should say, not the middle. We're in the midst of a series called Learning to Love. And uh, we've spent several weeks um, looking at how we love the Lord, how we love in the church, and then in the key relationships that we that we have. The Lord laid on my heart to talk about husbands and wives, and we did that for, I think, seven or eight weeks. I'm not sure. And now we're talking about parents and children. And last week, I introduced the subject by talking about the joy and pain of parenting. Amen. The prophet Frankie Beverly helped us with that song talking about the joy and pain. It's joy and pain. It's like sunshine and what? Come on now. Amen. And so we talked about the core roles and the core responses of parents. And we talked about that the core role of a parent is to train and the core role of a child is to obey. We got that directly from Ephesians chapter 6, precepts. Got that right from Ephesians chapter 6. And we said that the core response of uh, a a child is is to honor the parents and the core uh, response of a parent to a child is to encourage them. Amen. The scripture says don't exasperate your children. So that kind of set a a good foundation uh, for us. And I just figured it might make sense to look at a pattern in scripture where things just went wrong with the parenting and kind of break it apart. Parenting at its very core is leadership. Okay. It's leadership. It's, it's, it's the place where you lead. If you don't have any other uh, sphere in your life where you have leadership responsibility, trust me as parents, you have leadership responsibility for those uh, of us that not, have not experienced the joy and pain of parenting, you can definitely apply these lessons in a more broad way in terms of what leadership looks like. Amen. What what is what is what kind of leadership do I uh, do I need to have? And in First Samuel chapter one and two, uh, and we'll we'll no doubt spend some time talking about her because Hannah is. 
will be eligible for what I would describe and, and we preached on many years ago, the lifestyles of the blessed and godly. Amen. Hannah would be a, a candidate for the lifestyles of the blessed and godly. Amen. And I would tell you, in contrast to that, the Bible uh, in First Samuel, the way it's put together, you see this very godly woman and how she parented and, and, and what she was focused on and some of her challenges. And then you get to Eli. So Eli, if you look at First Samuel chapter two and you start in verse 12, Eli would not be eligible really for the lifestyles of the blessed and godly. My man, Eli would be eligible for the lifestyles of the stressed and worldly. Amen. And, and, and often in scripture, God teaches us with these patterns that are in contrast. Amen. And so uh, Hannah was a very godly woman. And but but Eli, uh, who was serving as the as the chief priest, and um, he was a he was a man of God. But that's the, the issue and the challenge and what always happens when we find ourselves in a place where we're stressed and worldly. It's not that Eli did not have a relationship with God or devotion to God. But when you're stressed and worldly, it also brings in focus that you are likely living below your privilege in God. Let me say that again. Part of what makes a person stressed and worldly is that they're living below their privilege in God. They're missing a key piece of the assignment. Amen. And to discover, and then there's a discovery that often happens where there are consequences to their lack of obedience and, and follow through on what God told them. Amen. Half obedience is no obedience at all. You can look at first Samuel 15 and, and look at, at King Saul and see that. But again, the, the difference between being blessed and godly. And again, you talk church talk. If somebody asks you how you doing and you say what blessed and what? Highly favored and you are highly favored and you are blessed. But when you look at Deuteronomy 28 and you look at all that blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come, blessed when you go, you'll be the head and not the tail. All of those things in that chapter are assigned to those that are obedient to what God has revealed. And you flip one more chapter and I'll say, and if you're not obedient to what is revealed, cursed in the city. Cursed in the field, cursed when you come, cursed when you go. You'll be the tail and not the head. You will be the borrower and not the lender. So again, it has something to do in God's economy around being obedient. And so Eli, it, it, it wasn't the fact that he had no relationship. It wasn't the fact that he had no devotion. But when you examine his life, you see that he lived below his privilege in God and there were deadly consequences because of it. And so we look at his story, and again, it's a story about leadership, but particularly it manifests itself in his parenting. It actually manifests itself in two places, his parenting and as a minister. And I want to encourage you around this pattern of Scripture so that we can see what kind of leadership and what kind of parenting that we need to have. And let's learn more through this story. The first thing I would tell you, If you don't want your parenting to go wrong. Oh, and by the way, by the way, by the way, those that are comfortably sitting here thinking my kids are grown. What did I tell you last week? It never stops. Never stops. Never. Never stops. 
Let that sink in. Never. So if you're a parent, you're always going to be a parent. And you're always going to have to remember these these four principles that I'm going to give you. You're going to have to remember them in every phase of your life. Because I can guarantee you that, again, even when you... I'll say you, you account for free will. Amen. Free will is the wild card. You can only do what you can do. At some point they have to be responsive and they have to have their own relationship with God. But, but you, you can't give up. Amen. Trying to help guide and order their steps and encourage them to make the best decisions because all decisions have consequences. And it may be their life. It's like you could say to them, hey, listen, it's your life. But you're pretending like if you're not standing next to somebody that has a grenade and it goes off, that there won't be shrapnel in your life. There'll always be shrapnel in your life based upon what happens in somebody else's life if you have loved them correctly. Because you're what? Close. And that proximity is what causes the pain, the joy and the pain, the sunshine. And the rain. The first thing is leadership has to be attractive. Amen. Leadership and parenting has to be attractive. What am I talking about? It speaks to it speaks to illustration. It speaks to illustration. You know, as well as I do, that there this is review for you. There are five elements of a a relationship of discipleship. There's always got to be an invitation. Amen. You know who always reminds me that that discipleship is an invitation? My daughter, Courtney, because Courtney will always tell me, I didn't ask to be here. You did this. I showed up. You did this. You invited me into this father daughter relationship. If you didn't make the invitation, I wouldn't be here. So deal with it. Deal with it. Invitation. A discipleship relationship always starts with an invitation. So by definition, when you decided that you wanted to have kids and you were fortunate enough to be able to do it, that was the invitation. So there's an invitation and there's got to be instruction in the Lord. Amen. That's a part of a discipleship relationship. That's what a relationship between a parent and child is because we talk about training. Train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. We talked about that. There was a requirement to retain to, to train and a recommendation to uh, uh, train and then there's a reward that you should anticipate amen so there's got to be an invitation there's got to be instruction then there is illustration in a discipleship relationship beside the fact that there will be uh, uh, imitation and then impartation so somebody else does it but the, the fulcrum in that relationship is illustration they have got to see what you want them to be they've got to see it's got to be attractive you got to show them this is what a walk with the Lord looks like and a walk with the Lord is better than any other walk of life you can have. You've got to show them how attractive it is. I'm not saying that you hide for them to struggle. I'm saying you show them how our God helps us through the struggle. You show them how, according to John chapter 6, where else will we go? You have the words to eternal life. You let them know that Jesus said, I came that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. You have to show them what an abundant life looks like. An abundant life is a combination of life and obedience to what God has revealed. He said, there's no better life for you. And that's the life that ends in eternal life. That's the end game. You got to show them what is important. You show them what's attractive. You have to see a man in order to be a man. 
You have to see a woman of God in order to be a woman of God. And that's our job to make the life that we want for them based upon the recipe. It's not necessarily just based upon what you want. And there's some nice ideas, but they better be founded and based in, in, in biblical truth. Amen. And you could say, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in life that's not, you know, that doesn't have a biblical base. No, it's not. Everything. Everything in life should be saturated with a biblical grid. There's no wisdom that you should that should leave your lips that's not based upon this book. It's how you package it, how you promote it, how you present it, how you actually hide it so somebody may eat what they need but not realize that you're giving it to them from here because they might reject it if it's from here. But everything that you're talking about should be based upon the word of God. And in order to base all your wisdom and advice and counsel on the words of God, on the word of God, unfortunately, you have to know the word of God. But it better be what? Attractive. So set a good example. People need to see what you want them to be in any leadership capacity. The best leaders are the ones that say, do as I do, or at the very least, do as I have done. Amen. It may not be for me to do it, but I, but I know how to do that because I've done that before. The children need to hear that more than anybody And that parent child relationship. It has to be attractive. It's got to be based upon the word of God. You have got to set a good what example. And I don't know if Eli set a good example or not, but I knew. No, I do know this, that in first Samuel chapter two in verse 12, it says this Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. The King James calls them <laughs> the sons of sons of Belial. Sons of the devil, really loosely interpreted. Um, you know what? As a matter of fact, I would think that that Philippians chapter three would give us verse 17 through 19 would give us a good a good description of what I mean when I say that they, they had no regard for the Lord in, in Philippians three, um, 18 is the apostle. So I've often told you before now say again, with even with tears, many live their lives as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. They mind earthly things. They mind earthly things hard to be in a position to mind earthly things when you're supposed to be a priest of the most high God. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. The scripture doesn't say Eli was a wicked man. It says Eli's sons were wicked men. So something once again got what lost in translation as it often does. But your leadership better be what? Attractive, but the second thing, and it's just so important and it's so powerful, is your leadership has to be attentive. That doesn't speak to the illustration, that speaks to your interaction. There's a word that my wife has been saying to me lately as a reminder and an encouragement, not, not in any kind of bad way but just engagement needs you to be engaged 
around the things that need to happen, particularly when I say around the holidays and, you know, uh, Thanksgiving in particular. But if you're not engaged, it's the same thing as saying you're not being attentive. That what You can't expect anything from something that you don't inspect. It's foolish to think that you can have an expectation if you don't have any inspection. That has everything to do with being attentive. Apparently, Eli did not like to deal with problems. Okay, look at look at you go back to you you go back to his interaction with Hannah and and, and Samuel chapter one. She kept on praying and Eli observed her mouth. So Hannah was in there. She was praying. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. And she said, not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. Uh, uh, I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying out here to get out my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. That seems like a decent way to end the interaction. But there's a couple of problems with that that you can see. Eli doesn't like to deal with issues. And so Eli is quick not to help, not to have compassion. Eli's quick to judge. That's that's what a lot of believers do. He sees somebody in great anguish and grief and he assumes that she must be drunk. His point is, if you're going to be drunk, you got to be drunk somewhere else. Get out. Quick to judge, but not quick to help. And he don't know what she's praying for. But he says, may the Lord grant your request. I don't know what you're praying for unless I do some inspection. But inspection takes time. Inspection means that I have to interact with you. Inspection means is tell me, child, what's troubling you. Tell me what's on your heart. And then maybe I can pray with you and pray for you and do it. But Eli's like, I'm just just get out. And then when I find out you're not drunk, it's like, now get out because may the glory answer your request. See that, you can't do everything quickly. Amen. Quick to judge, quick to dismiss, quick to get, get on to the next thing. Sometimes if you're going to be attentive, somebody better holler help. Some, sometimes when you want to be attentive, you've got to take some time. Attention is in the word. It has to do with your Interaction, amen. You've got to be attentive. And apparently with his sons, he was not what? Attentive. Dude. Eli's sons were off the chain. Look at, look at what they were doing. I already told you that they they, they were wicked men, right? Let, 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 let me let me show you how, and then I'll show you Eli's response, which doesn't seem to be very attentive. Eli's sons were wicked men. It was the practice of the priests and the people that whenever I'm in verse 13, whenever anybody offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant or the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites. But even before the fat was burned, the servant or the priest would come and say, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat, only raw. And if somebody said, let that fat at least be burned up, and then take whatever you want, the server would answer, no, hand it over now. And if you don't, I'll take it by force. This does not sound like what ministry should be. Let, let me just say that. 
Again, in Leviticus chapter 7, it was very uh, subscribed by the Lord, or prescribed, excuse me, exactly what portion of the sacrifice that the priest was get. The priest was supposed to get a two-piece, breast and thigh. Didn't say nothing about a biscuit, didn't say anything about a side, didn't say anything about a combo, breast, thigh, that's what you get. These cats were coming in, and it was like, we don't want the breast and thigh. You mixing light meat and dark meat. I want six wings. Mild sauce, salt and pepper. That's what I want. I don't want that breast thigh combination. I want to grab my meat, and I, I want to get me a three. So you, you, you're trying to set up your sacrifice. These cats are coming in, and they just take, and they're, and they're acting like Roscoe on, on, on Martin. Say, if you don't give me the money, I'm taking the money. Give me the money or I'm taking the money. That's why they were acting. And the greatest violation is not even against the people. It's against God because God was supposed to get the fat. The fat burned up was a was was in, to honor God. And then you have the people coming and saying, if you're going to gangster and rob me, it's like somebody that wants to take your wallet. And they say, at the very least, let me keep my ID so I don't have to go down to the DMV and replace that. Take the money. Take the credit card. Let me at least keep that. They're saying, listen, why don't you at least wait until you can halfway honor God by allowing it to be roasted. And they were like, no, we want it raw. And we don't want a breast eye. We want what we want when we want it. And if you don't give it to me, I'm taking it. They're foul. Amen. They were disrespectful. They were disgraceful. And then they were also distasteful. Look at verse 22. This is almost like a throwaway. You look up and see if that's not bad enough. Now, Eli, this is where we get to it. Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel. That's the meat thing. And then they just throw this detail in. And how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the temple, to the tent of meeting. You got volunteers that are helping you move stuff around and do something. Next thing you know, Eli's sons are are rolling up on them, shooting game and doing some kind of some kind of priest game that they got. They're sleeping with people at a church. Now, of course, that's never happened now. Where it's about the money or greed or it's about the women. I mean, no, this is the tale as old as time. Amen. And it's right there in the pattern of scripture. And if you can see how you're supposed to handle that, you can get a better idea how, how we're supposed to handle those things now. Amen. It's not a throwaway detail that they were sleeping with the women at the temple. And Eli knew about all of this. He said, what is this I'm hearing? You know what they doing. You are the priest. You're the chief priest. And he says Eli was very old. So he's almost like there's a little bit of excuse. I just don't have the energy. I'm not engaged. I don't have effort. I'm not being attentive. He could be weary and exhausted because he has given up. These cats were disrespectful. They were disgraceful. And they were distasteful in their behavior. There was no correction, no punishment, no restraint. And when sin is allowed to run wild. It's always a disaster. Always a disaster. The scripture says that Eli was blind. I can tell you Eli was blind and his sons were deaf because they had no regard for the Lord. And here's this kind of weak, tepid rebuke where he says, 
Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Let me just give you one detail here. If a man sins against another man, may God mediate for him. But if a man sins against, sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? You. That's your job. You're the intercessor. You're the priest, aren't you? What did Moses do in Numbers chapter 14 when God said, I'm getting ready to lay all of them out. I'm getting ready to wipe all of them out, and I'm going to start you all over with a new people. And Moses went to the Lord. He says, Lord, please don't do that. You brought them out, and we don't want your enemies, come on somebody, to say you couldn't bring them in. He said, don't destroy the people. And God said, because you prayed, because you interceded, I will not destroy all of them, but everybody that is 20 and younger, I'll let them come into the uh, into the promised land, but everybody that's 20, 20 and older, I'm going to walk them around the same desert, bush, tree combination for the next 38 years till they all drop but Moses interceded that's what you're supposed to do when your children are off the chain get down on your knees who will intercede if you're messing up with God you will you will my mother my mother told me every time I left the house when I was in high school, she got down on her knees. She called her best friend, Gwendetta Albright, and got down on her knees. And I can promise you, my mother needed to be down on her knees every time I left the house in high school. I'm here today because she was on her knees with Auntie Gwen. That's part of the reason I'm here today. She didn't know what I was up to, but she knew. I was up to no good. Not every time. 85% of the time? Yeah. And guess who I was doing it with? My church crew. All of the other young people in the church. You got to watch young people in church. You want them to get in trouble together, but they... That's a whole nother message, by the way. Dear God, just because just because your babies are out together, the only thing you can hope for is that somebody, somebody has heard from the Lord recently. It increases the chances. If you're hanging with five young people that are in the church group together, maybe one will say, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we shouldn't. And somebody else said, man, forget, no. But you increase the chances. If you don't roll with a crew that at least has an orientation for the kingdom, you got no chance. But the person in my group that always says, should we really be doing this, was Pastor Tyrus. Me and Kevin Claxton always were up for some black foolishness. And Pastor Tyrus was always the one like, brothers, brothers, before the Lord, is this what we should be doing? And my answer from me and Kevin was, yes, this is what we should be doing. But that's a whole nother message. But his re- his rebuke was weak. It was tepid. Why? They already mentioned he was old. He was too tired. He was too stressed. And he was too selfish to, ag- to engage. So he withdrew. Eli, Eli's son, Phineas and Hophni, they didn't start out like that. They couldn't have. And you know why they didn't start out like that? Because as we'll see, who did, who did Hannah give her baby Samuel to, to be raised up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? She brought him to who? To Eli. 
She brought him to Eli. And what, is, what does it say? When you see the sin of the, this, the, these young men were very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. The very ner- next verse says, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord. And then in chapter 3 and verse 1, it says the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. So Eli still knew how to train. Eli still knew what was right. He didn't have a vessel that he was pouring into. He was pouring into Samuel. Amen. You look at the back and forth between him and Samuel. That boy grew up. The scripture says in verse 26 of verse 2, why do you honor your sons more than you honor me uh, with these offerings? But it says in verse 20, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Where was he getting that training from? He had the support of his mom for sure because she was coming to see him every year bringing him his 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 little ephod as the scripture says but he was under eli eli had not forgotten how to train but with his boys he was tired and when you get tired you get sloppy and when you get sloppy you start making mistakes we can't be tired we can't be too stressed. We can't be too tired. And we darn sure can't be too selfish to engage. Pay attention to your children. Do the right thing over and over again. Even if you don't see any fruit that you can point to, you keep paying attention. Because if you don't see the fruit, what you will see soon is the weeds. I promise you that. When we stop paying attention, it's the same thing happens to your grass. If you don't get on that stuff, if you don't, if you're not coming through and you're, they're aerating, come on, Kevin, they, if they're not aerating in the spring or aerating in the fall and they got that, that weed control in the spring, somewhere in the summer, it'll tell on you that you didn't do everything you were supposed to do to keep your lawn the way you were supposed to do it. And when you're not attentive, the weeds come. When you're not attentive as a parent, these kind of consequences come. Now, I'm not saying that 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 Phineas and Hophni did not have free will and likely mess up the well-laid plans of Eli. But you can't just be old. You can't just be tired. You have got to be engaged. Amen. Attractive. Attentive. The third thing is your leadership and your parenting has to be adaptive. Adaptive. And that speaks to correction. Where was the correction with Eli's sons? The Bible says that he did not correct them. Why do you honor your sons more than me? By fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. You know what? It's hard to correct when they're bringing you the food. He's in on it. He's supposed to get a two-piece. Breast thigh. But the scripture says that he said, why do you honor your sons more than me? By fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering. And so they made him complicit in the thing. It's like, dad, we, we, we brought you something. What y'all got? I got that six piece. I got the six wings with the, with the mild sauce, salt and pepper. I thought we were supposed to have a breast thigh. This is what we got. And the scripture says, and this is no joy, joke. Eli was a, a fat man. He was a heavy man. Amen. And part and, and part of that heaviness, I believe, has to do with fattening himself up on what he shouldn't do. So it's hard to correct when you're in on it. When you benefit from it. Amen. 
You can't very well tell your your children that are living in your house that you know they're out dealing drugs and, and that, that money comes in into the household and you use it to pay the light bill and you pay the rent and you do whatever. You can't go right back to them and say, I need you to stop doing these drugs. It's not it's going to ring hollow. Amen. Not doing them, but selling them. I'm saying if you know that's where the money is coming from and you benefit from it, you lose your voice because you're complicit. Amen. They're not going to listen to you. It's like I pay the bills in here. I'm the one that keeps the lights on, mom. I'm the one that pays the uh, pays the mortgage or the rent, dad. So shut your mouth, take the money and leave me alone. I think that's what was happening here with Eli. There was no correction. You have to adapt. And what I'm saying is you have to make a course correction. Hebrews 12 is all about making course corrections. That's what it talks about. He, there's a course that is set for us and he, and it says that he, he scourges us and, and, and he, and he disciplines everyone that he treats as a son. So here's my question to you as a parent. Will you risk being a parent at the expense of being a friend? We all want to be our kids' friend. We all want to be the fun parent. And we all want to be besties. But they need parents more than they need friends. And they only got one parent. They only got these. They got one father. They got one mother. I'm their friend too, but I'm their father first. It's the same thing the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians. You have many guardians in, in, in Christ, but you don't have many spiritual fathers. I'm one of your spiritual fathers. I brought you into the ministry. I brought you into the body of Christ. I introduced you. And, and matter of fact, he said, and I'll be there soon. And I'm going to find out because there's some people that are running their mouth. I'm going to find out who has the words and who has the power. That's a that's a parent thing. Amen. He said, you got a bunch of guardians in Christ, but not many fathers. I'm your spiritual father. Will you risk? Keep this in mind over and over again. Will you risk being a parent at the expense of being a friend? You have to if you're going to be adaptive. Will you risk a rebuke of truth spoken in love in order to help someone get better? There's some things that you may coming up in your mind and think about your relationships that you need to say. But you're going to sound like a parent. And guess what? You are. It's going to sound like you're trying to train them and influence what they do. You are. That's what you're doing. I'm not coming to you as your friend. Hey, I just want to chop it up with you, my boy. No, sometimes you got to take that, put that, put that down and say, I'm your father. I'm your mother. I love you again. There's correction and it has to happen, but you have to understand that you can't just use one tool in the toolbox. Come on, somebody. You gotta, you gotta have a very curated, and we'll discuss it, a very curated approach to each child. Each child is different. You can't do the same thing with the same child at the same time. You can't say it's worked before. This is the way it's supposed to be. So all I have is a belt and I'm just whooping everybody. That approach was very widespread during the 70s. It was also quite effective, but there was really not a lot of modification in that thing. You do something, you immediately get slapped, maybe into next week, 
Maybe the black slapped off of you. Maybe slap silly or my mother's favorite. She would slap the taste out of your mouth. Somebody say, dear God, dear God, dear God. How many people have had this, the taste slapped out of their mouth? Anybody that was born in the 60s or 50s or before. Maybe in the 70s as well has had the slate, the taste slapped out of their mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it's not, not the 80s, what you saying? Okay. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. So it's gotta be adaptive. And part of that adaptation is, is the fact that you have to have some correction. Amen. But you're going to have to figure out how to be effective in that correction. Amen. The last thing I want to tell you. So, again, what is it? Your your leadership and your parenting needs to be what? Attractive. That's that speaks to illustration. It needs to do what? Also attentive. That speaks to interaction. It needs to be what? Adaptive. That speaks to correction. And last but not least, it needs to be appreciative. In the very definition of the word, and I've talked about this several times because it's near and dear to my heart. It needs to be appreciative. You and I as parents need to grasp the weight and the significance of what is happening at all times. If you don't appreciate the stakes, you won't appreciate the consequences. You gotta know what's at stake. Their very lives are at stake. You can't be off the job. You can't mail it in. You can't be too tired or too stressed or too selfish. Cause if you're not on your job, it's, it's, it really literally is, it's really just like that, the, the movie A Few Good Men when he says, if we don't follow orders, people die. We're down in Guantanamo Bay. The, the enemy is literally right there. We got to be on our jobs all the time. We can't take a break. We can't mess up. We, we, we're, we're on the front line. We're in a forward area. That's how you have to think. You're not, you're not in the reserves. This is not uh, weekend training that you're doing as a parent. You're front line, front and center. You got a rifle. The enemy is right there. You got to protect. You're in the foxhole and you got to make sure, come on somebody, that you don't point your gun at the other person that's in the foxhole with you, which is your spouse, hopefully, and you're doing that. Don't point your bayonet at me. The enemy's out there. Let's fight together. Let's protect this foxhole. Let's protect this area. That's what you got to think. These are real stakes. If they break through the lines they'll kill us and the enemy is always roaring about roaming about seeking whom he may devour these are the stakes beloved and if we don't appreciate we'll demean the past we'll damage the present and we'll destroy the future You got to appreciate the circumstances. You got to appreciate the gifts. You got to appreciate the legacy. You got to appreciate the opportunity and you've got to appreciate the consequences. Parenting is no punk. It's no joke and it's never over. How you interact, how you present truth, that's what makes you a good parent. You got to find a way to say what you got to say based upon the truth of God's word. Amen. 
You just can't walk into a grown 25, 26-year-old woman's room and tell her, I need you to do this. Shut up, do what I told you to do, because that's not going to work. You got to engage her mind and her intelligence, and you have to appeal to her with the truth of the word of God that she knows for herself. You got to talk to her like she's a grown-up, because she is. I don't have any young kids anymore. Kyle is 21 years old. And I have to make my appeal to him. Not a threat. Not I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. That he a little bigger now. I might need some help taking him out, but I I think I can I think if you sleep, I'll still I can definitely get you if you sleep. I don't know if I can do it straight up, but but that's not my point. Again, throughout life, again, these these course corrections and these things you gotta say, you gotta be nice with yours. You got to get your job done. Apparently, Eli didn't get his job done, and there was judgment. The consequences were so great that at the end of the day, they lost the priesthood. They lost vitality. They lost longevity. They actually lost life. There was a prophet that came and said, today, both of your sons are going to die. And when Eli heard that they were, Eli heard that they were dead, he fell over backwards and broke his neck, and he died. And there was never an old man in their family. The judgment for not doing what he was supposed to do and not taking care of business. He says there will never be an old man in your family. I'm going to leave. I'm going to take the, the priesthood from you and I'm immediately give it to Zadok's family. You're out. You're out of the priesthood game. But also you're going to be you're going to lose your vitality and you're going to lose your life. You three literally are going to lose your life and there will never be an old man in your family. Can you imagine that? I don't know what old is for you in the Bible. 35, 40 years old, everybody just dies. Nobody's 70, nobody's 80, nobody's 90, not, not an old man. Eli was the last old man in his family. Because he let his kids run wild. Not when they were kids, but when they were adults. Because it's never over. And they were in a family business together, ministry. And you know he didn't forget how to do his job because he had Samuel. And he was under Eli. And Samuel ended up being the prophet and, and the priest that, that, that God desired and saw. So there's always hope. There's always hope. Don't give up. Don't give in. That's that's not church talk. That's not cliche. You don't give up because God always says, I can always put you back in the game. There's always grace. There's always mercy. But sometimes you lose. And it's stuff that you lose because you're disobedient that you'll never get back. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. As a father. As a husband. As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't want to be in a place where I said I didn't do everything I should do. And I can't get tired. And sometimes you're so tired, so tired of saying the same things over and over. So tired of seeing folks make the same mistakes or headed to disaster. And Phil, what is it I can do? I can tell you what you can at least do, which Eli didn't do. Who will intercede if you're not doing what God wants you to do? You can. Get down on your knees. 
probably the most important thing you can do as a parent is pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for guidance. Pray for discernment. Pray for the strength to obey yourself so that your parenting and leadership is attractive. And then pray God's blessing and God's best and God's protection around your children and around their minds so that they will make the best decisions. Because you can't control it, but you can influence it. You can influence it. And God can say, I see your passion, just like he did with Hannah. I see your pain and your grief, and I'm going to I'm gonna move on your behalf. God moves. He's a healer. God moves. He's a deliverer. Appeal to God on behalf of your children. You should be on your knees. And then let's see what God will do and provide us with hope.